Good morning. Please remain standing for the reading of our God's word. We're going to be in Psalm 121 today. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. And I'd love to start this morning uh, just giving an opportunity to ask God for his blessing on his word. So if you would bow with me, Lord, uh, you speak to us, and uh, we are laid low by your word. Um, the word of your mouth is powerful, and so we don't pretend like it's not. And so we ask that you would uh, help us, help us to be hearers, listeners, uh, but Lord, not only uh, hearers, but doers of your word also. Lord, would you bless your word this morning uh, by the power of your spirit? Uh, would it uh, promote an increase in your people? Uh, Lord, we ask you that you would not only bless your word, but that you would bless us by it. And that we pray all of these things in the power of the spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I, I was actually walking through my house uh, later last night uh, than usual, uh, kind of headed back towards the bedroom, and I realized uh, that um, it's been a long time since I've been like afraid of the dark. And I, I wasn't particularly afraid of the dark last night. I just remember those times as like a little kid that uh, the, the darkness in my room or on that space underneath the bed or like an open doorway, like walking down the hall, represented some amount of uncertainty. And I don't know if you were like me when you were a kid or maybe now. Uh, but I was afraid of that. Like, I remember very much taking those, uh, you know, very shameful runs down the hall, avoiding the, the open, you know, doors, and then leaping onto the bed. I don't know if anybody else did that, but the uh, uncertainty of what was underneath there might, you know, reach out and grab you. You never know. Uh, now, I want to report this to all of the kids there. Uh, nobody has ever been under a bed and actually pulled anybody under. That's only something that exists uh, in your imagination or in a comic book or something like that. You don't need to be afraid of the dark. But I do remember just that amount of uncertainty really gripping my heart in really unreasonable ways. Probably a little too old, if I'm being honest. But I'm not any longer really all that afraid of the dark. I don't know exactly when that happened, but, uh, but it did. I'm not afraid of the dark anymore. But I am wondering whether or not there are things in my life and in yours that still uh, represent some amount of uncertainty, some darkness, some un something unseen. In the midst of whatever that is, there is a vulnerability that we have to admit as human beings. There are things uh, that represent a danger or fear or anxiety or something that represents a vulnerability for us, uh, something that we are vulnerable for. As an adult, it may not be the dark, but there is something. And so I want to ask you this morning, uh, and maybe even just pause briefly for you to actually consider, what, what is it in your life that you feel vulnerable to? 
Maybe it's a, uh, a relationship that uh, makes you feel vulnerable, uncomfortable a little bit. You, you, you're just too exposed in the midst of it. Maybe it's, uh, it's an emotion. Uh, you just feel emotionally vulnerable. Uh, maybe just uh, life has represented a lot of uncertainty. You've given your emotions to other people who have trampled on them, and there's just vulnerability there. You have a difficulty uh, being vulnerable with people because it just has represented danger in the past. For, for many of us, far too many of us, uh, there are like physical vulnerabilities that we have. Uh, people have mistreated us in the past and uh, we just feel physically vulnerable. For uh, many ladies, my wife says that just the, the darkness is still a real thing. It's not necessarily under the bed, but it may be a parking garage, just uh, some dark places that represent a physical vulnerability for us. I also just think about like financial vulnerability. Some of us just, we don't feel necessarily vulnerable physically, but we look at our bank accounts and we just realize that, you know, one or two hard things happens and we're just vulnerable. We're not sure uh, what would be on the other side of like a few hard things and we just feel exposed. Uh, still others, maybe uh, relationally or spiritually. Uh, I asked our lead team this morning, and we had several really, really good answers. I asked, what is it that makes you feel vulnerable? And uh, trips to the doctor were mentioned. Uh, just because going to the doctor represents some amount of uncertainty. What, what might I hear uh, this time? You know, uh, there were lots of really good things that uh, were represented in that, like just giving of yourself to another person, trusting another person relationally is a vulnerability. It's like, I'm giving you my heart. What are you going to do with that? And it's frightening. Uh, I will tell you this, that the, the time in my life that I felt most vulnerable was when I got married to Sawyer. And it wasn't uh, our relationship, actually. It was uh, probably a lot of pride, a lot of uh, desire to succeed, not only in marriage, but in young adulthood. Uh, we uh, got married when I think I had less than $400 in my account. She was still in school. I was still in school. Uh, I didn't start my first actual like career-style job. I had been working since around 15 but I didn't have like a real, 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 like a grow, grown up, like married person job until like right after we got married. And there was just a lot of fear in me about like failing and not just failing like to provide for my wife. Like I knew that she, you know, she covenanted to belong to me. So it's just like, she's in, like, it's not gonna, nothing's gonna happen to that. But like doing it in front of family or friends where I uh, might have to go ask them for money or something like that, or might take a job and get fired. My first job uh, that I was just talking about was a sales job that was on the like national sales team. And every week, everybody in the entire company knew how much you sold or more importantly, didn't sell and there was just this like level of anxiety and anxiousness like always like it didn't matter if I had the best month on earth the very next month I started at zero and if you stayed at zero it was like am I gonna stay employed here uh, and it was just a very vulnerable place uh, for me um, the the fear of failure in young adulthood was very real I've never really honestly felt more uncertainty in any other time in my life I asked Sawyer, you know, when, when did you feel most vulnerable? What is the time that you felt most vulnerable? And she said, the, the earliest days of motherhood with Jackson. My, my body had completely changed. Uh, you know, um, I just had new rhythms. I didn't know how to communicate with you about things. It always seemed like there was maybe an argument right around the corner.
prisoner or something like that. There were sleepless nights. There was just a lot of vulnerability in that time of our lives. Uh, So physical and emotional changes made her, uh, she said, feel weak, feel vulnerable. Sawyer uh, is not a person that feels particularly vulnerable in a lot of different areas, uh, but we both were kind of trying to talk about, like, what are those things outside of ourselves that, like, we grieve in terms of vulnerability? And uh, I've got to confess to you that I look out on this world of ours, and I see uh, a world of injustice that actually uh, doesn't take and protect the vulnerable, but actually builds systems and structures oftentimes to exploit them. Uh, We give credit cards to the people that are least credit worthy, often hoping that they will accrue lots and lots of debt so that they will remain enslaved to that debt. Many of you took on massive student loans, and there's a lot of vulnerability there. Uh, Our society, I think, exploits some of the most vulnerable, and I just think that it's, it's wicked. So there's a lot of vulnerability in our culture. There's a a lot of people that are marginalized that uh, get taken advantage of, and it just seems like a lot of things are like stacked up against the most vulnerable. And here's where we take on the psalm that we just heard from. Uh, Here's where we approach God's word and we see something sweet. This psalm has really dripping with honey, sweet words for the vulnerable. Uh, uh, for, for, uh, for not just the vulnerable, but for you. And, and what I'm hoping this morning is, is that as we venture towards worship, that we will understand this primary point that the text pulls up and puts in front of us and asks us to deal with, and that is that worshipers lift our eyes. We lift our eyes to the life-keeping Lord. Worshippers lift our eyes to the life-keeping Lord. Now, most of the time, uh, I have three points, and those three points take far too long to get through. This morning, I have five points, but I don't want that to scare you, because here's the deal. These are very simple points, and I'm going to be able to make it through them. And here's my goal. Here's my uh, my goal this morning, my promise to you, is that we're not going to deal too deeply with any one of them, because they're very clear and I want for them to remain simple this morning. So we're going to move at a quicker pace. I just ask you to come with me through this. As we learn that worshipers lift our eyes to the life-keeping Lord, there are five things that we're going to learn this morning. We're going to learn that the Lord keeps our feet. We're going to learn that He keeps watch. We're going to learn that He keeps close, that He keeps you safe, and that He keeps you forever. Those are the five things that we're going to deal with this morning. So, where, where are we in the midst of all of this? If you're, if you're new or if you haven't been with us in a little while, we started a new uh, sermon series where we are uh, journeying, journeying towards Jerusalem. We're actually moving towards worship. This is the Psalms of Ascent, uh, Psalms 120 uh, through 134. And we're going to take them one at a time. You can keep pace with us. You can study alongside of us before you get here. When you come in, we always read at the same time standing. So if you want to open up your Bible, put it next to you so that you can pull that up and not necessarily rely on the screen. Uh, That's where we're going to be week in and week out. This is the second week of this, but what we learned in the first week in Psalm 120 is that God delivers the distress from the death of deceit. This, uh, This psalmist reported that he lives in a world where untruth and deceit was causing death and distress in him, and what he needed to do was get out of there. 
He needed to get out and he needed to go up to worship. Now, uh, the reason why we're talking about it being the journey to Jerusalem is because these Psalms of Ascent would have been sung by travelers on the road towards Jerusalem. So we actually pick up in a place where the worshiper has left home and is journeying on a road. So we're, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to hear these, uh, these prayers of the psalmist, and why I want them to be your prayers this morning. I want you to know that my prayer for you, not just this morning, but throughout this sermon series, is that God would use these psalms to move you and to move your family and to move City Church into a revival of joyful worship. And that's where we pick up on verse 1. So look at it with me. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? So, so he's on this journey to Jerusalem, and what he's literally doing is looking uphill. He, he's looking towards Jerusalem. He's going up, but there are these hills that are out in front of him, that he's left the city. He's left the safety of the city. He's gone out into this relative safety of the plain. The reason why the plain would be a safe place for him is because you can see your attackers coming from anywhere. A, a robber would not have been a very good thief to have lied in wait on a plane because you can see them. But the hills that you're going into, the hills that you're ascending into, represent a certain amount of uncertainty, a certain amount of vulnerability. To move into those hills would have been to know that there were nooks and crannies of people who wished to do you harm. And so the psalmist recognizes it. He says, I'm going uphill. I'm going to the hills. There's a certain amount of uncertainty, vulnerability, possible pain that is out there waiting for me. And then he asks a very simple question. He asks, where does my help come from? If I'm leaving this safety, if I'm leaving and going into uncertainty, I'm lifting my eyes, I'm vulnerable, I need help, where does it come from? And he extols it. I want you to hear it this morning as part of the context, not just for this psalm, but for all the psalms and for all of life and for life eternal, my help comes from the Lord. What sweet words. I'm looking towards the vulnerabilities and uncertainties of life. Where does my help come from? My help is in the Lord. Memorize it. Know it. I was talking earlier this week, uh, Jackson has been uh, memorizing with his classmates uh, uh, Romans 8, and uh, some weeks he is learning this psalm so that he can uh, not just have it memorized, uh, but to deliver it to his teacher and get a grade on it. He's actually getting graded on his ability to memorize about four to five verses at a, at a time, and we started talking about it, and he's like, I learned those verses, and we did a test, and he did not learn those verses, and I, I asked him, like, hey, why did you think that you learned this? He's like, well, I was going to read it over, and I was going to do and take the test, and it'll be okay. I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're trying to memorize this to deliver it to your teacher. What I want you to do is to know it. I want you to know it. I want you to understand it. I want you to believe it. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Do you know it? That's the context of this psalm. Who is my helper? My help is on high. My help is the Lord. I need help. But here's the question that I want to ask, and it's one that I think that the psalmist anticipates, or certainly the Spirit does, because if we ask for help from someone who is unable to give it, what good is it for us? And so he says, my help is from the Lord, and then he qualifies it. He tells us that our helper has power. How much power? He's the one who created heaven and earth. How much power does our helper have? Infinite power over his creation. What good news this 
is for us this morning. Is the Lord weak? Is he helpless? The answer is no. He's our helper, and he made all things. So the Lord is our helper, and on this journey to Jerusalem, he is going to help us move towards worship. But I want to know this morning from this psalmist, how specifically does he help us? And the first point is that he keeps our feet. Now, that's a weird way of putting it. Did I just pick that out because maybe it, it, it flows in with all of these other keeps? No, no, no. It's literally telling us that he keeps our feet. Look at verse 3. It says, he will not let your foot be moved. Now, what does that mean? Why is it saying that? Well, we'll put it into the context of this journey into the hills. I once took a uh, backpacking trip at once. Uh, in late, uh, uh, late high school, and we went uh, up this hill, and about halfway up to the summit, there was a uh, young lady that was in our group, and she, uh, she lost her footing. And she didn't roll down the hill. She didn't hit her head, though that certainly was possible. There's danger actually ascending the hills. There is danger. She had rolled her ankle. She was not able to, uh, uh, to carry her backpack. So guess who had to carry it? Clayton Lusky. It was not me. I did not. That's not true. We divided it up. We both helped her out. And another person, another couple of people took in shoulder and literally helped her ascend the mountain with a rolled ankle. Now, I want you to imagine being in Colorado on the Rockies, not the Smokies. Okay. It was big, hard work. It was also very dangerous to lose your footing. It was dangerous for the group to lose their footing. If you're on your way to Jerusalem and you lose your footing, is there danger that's there? Yes, but not for worshipers of the Lord. Why? Because he keeps your feet. The Lord is our helper, and he's helping us all keep our feet from death and from danger and from disaster. But we have all seen Christians that have, have put their foot down in different areas and have been hurt. So how do, we, how do we take on board this promise that the Lord keeps our feet? When we see Christians regularly, like, lose their footing in life, how do we kind of understand that? How do we uh, put that into, now, what we need to do and what we need to do for the rest of this psalm is to keep it in the context of moving towards worship. This is not just talking about, like, a physical kind of safety that he's providing for our feet. What he's doing is promising us that if our goal is to move towards him, to move towards intimacy with him, to move towards worship of him, that he will keep our feet. So, so how are we to take this when we see people maybe who have uh, put their foot down on the wrong thing and who have fought the wrong battles and who have uh, done wrong things and have lost their footing, have faced consequences in their life as a result of that? It's to remember that when God tells you, I'm going to keep your feet, it is for you spiritually, primarily. He's going to keep you safe spiritually. Now, what are these strong footholds that we can take? Just practically, I want to mention one, okay? And it's just because it occurred to me, I felt like uh, maybe the Spirit was wanting me to share this with you and, and wanting to challenge some of you, actually. Where can we find strong footholds? Where is it in our lives that God will keep our feet firmly planted? And here's what I want you to know. It's in good sound doctrine. If you're trying to ascend a hill of worship, and you have decided that you are the one last word on all truth, and you decide to start believing very false things, things that don't gel with his word, things that are lies in the kingdom, might you lose your footing? I guarantee you that you will. 
If you have decided that you don't really like the things that God says about himself or about us or about the way that life works best, what you need to know is that you're in danger of losing your footing. If you decide to plant your foot on false doctrine, on false doctrines, if you try to believe lies and believe false things, God will not keep your foot there. He might let your foot slide. He might even allow you to endure something, endure consequence. What you need to do, Christian, is to find solid doctrine. This city, church, aims to be a place of solid doctrine. We aim to be a place that exalts the doctrines of God, that is realistic about the doctrines of man, that says the things that God says about this world that he has created, the sin that has infiltrated, and the way that he is remaking and redeeming all things and the future glory that's to come. We want to say those things out loud so that we might have a gospel-paved road where our footing is sure and where God will keep our feet. We want good doctrine. God keeps our feet, and he does it oftentimes through good doctrine that comes from his word. God will keep your footing as you climb Mount Sinai to uh, be with him, to see his face, to worship, to receive his word from him. If you're venturing up some other mountain, God does not promise that your footing will be sure and that he will keep your foot on a mountain of lies. So just know that if you're, if, uh, sometimes we face consequences and we need to just be realistic. What hill are we on? What hill have we chosen to put our footing on? What hill are we dying on? Is it the mountain of worship? God keeps our feet on that mountain. And the psalm goes on to say that he doesn't just keep our feet, he keeps watch. Verse 3, look at this. He says, he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel, God's people, will neither slumber nor sleep. What help is a powerful God, the maker of heaven, of earth, if he is sleeping, if he is asleep at the wheel, if he is nodding off, if he is napping? Here's the real true thing that we need to come to terms with. God could be all-powerful, and it could be terrible news for us. If all of his power that he used to create all things was ignorant of you, was not acknowledging of your danger, did not keep watch over you, that's a dangerous thing. And here's what he says here, and it's very sweet. He says that he keeps watch. I'm not going to slumber. I'm promising you I won't sleep I won't slumber. No, God is a vigilant and watchful God. He cares. He is omniscient. He knows and he sees everything that you're doing, everything that you need. And what he is saying is, I'm keeping watch over you. In Luke, uh, Luke 22, chapter 22, Jesus leaves his disciples to go further into the garden and pray. And he has a commandment for them. He says, don't sleep, pray. He says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Why? Because Satan, this uh, like roaring, prowling lion, was looking to devour the Son of Man. And these disciples who had devoted themselves to him were in danger. And they had literally gone up to this, uh, this little garden. And Jesus had gone there to meet with God and to pray. And Jesus says, do not sleep. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And so Jesus goes off and prays, and this is when he sweats blood, and he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he leaves that moment, and he comes back to his uh, disciples fervently praying. Wait, that's not it at all, right? They were sleeping. 
They were sleeping because they were uh, weak and feeble men that didn't know the danger that they were in and didn't uh, take, uh, uh, evidently didn't take very uh, seriously the word that Jesus had delivered to them. Pray, pray earnestly that you not fall into temptation. He comes back and they're sleeping. Every one of them is sleeping. The most, one of the most important nights in human history and the people that were closest to the story were found sleeping and slumbering. And what God says is, that's not who I am. I'm keeping watch. I'm keeping watch over you. I don't sleep. I don't fall asleep at the wheel. When you have needs, when you're in danger, God is watching you. He keeps watch over you. What amazing good news for those of us who feel our vulnerability. Christian, you may misjudge, you may miss time, you may make mistakes, you may sleep, but God never sleeps. He's never ignorant of you. He never turns his eye away from you. All of the power that is in our creator vows to keep watch over Israel, over his people. I will not slumber. I will not sleep. God keeps watch as you journey to Jerusalem. So, so here's the question. Okay, he's, uh, he's keeping my feet. He's keeping watch. But as I'm on this road up to worship, is he doing all of this from afar? Uh, think about like that uh, movie, this may miss uh, some of you, but the Jim Carrey movie where he's in the midst of this gigantic bubble and simulation, and there's this director with a funny hat, and he's watching all of these things on a screen, but he's not intersecting with the life of the primary characters. Everything is produced, it's fake, and this director is up on high, he's removed, he's never even met. So what good news would it be if God promises to keep your step? Uh, if he promises then also to keep watch, if he does not also keep close, verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is the shade at your right hand. Now, now there's a key to really understanding this Hebrew poetry, because if I, if I came up to John and I said, man, I'm, I'm the shade on your right hand, he'd be like, thanks dude, that's good. What, is, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean? That's not like a common vernacular for us. So there's a question that we have to ask of the poetry, and that is, if there is shade on my right hand, where is God promising that he is? If, his, if the shadow that he casts is falling on his right hand, where is God? Side by side. He's keeping close. The, the shadow is falling on his right hand because God, the Lord, the keeper, is promising that he's standing side by side with the psalmist. He's promising to you this morning that as you journey towards Jerusalem, as you travel towards worship, that he is by your side. He keeps close. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. Where is the Lord standing? He's standing by your side. Have you ever wondered where is the Lord he seems so distant. He seems just out of reach, ineffable, intangible. And here, he is promising that he keeps close to you. What good news is there for those of us who are in the midst of distress, for those of us who are feeling our vulnerability, than to know the creator of heaven and earth is standing by your side. And if he's standing by your side and you are side by side with all of your brothers and sisters in Christ and he is there with you, it just seems as though what God is promising us is that he is taking the line with us. 
If we are in this war, if we are on a dangerous journey, he is going with us together in this line. You're side by side with God, and he keeps close. Again, we must remember that this psalm is specific to this journey of worship. So when do we know that God is keeping close? We know that God is keeping close when we are on our way towards worship, when we're living a life of obedience. If you're not moving towards worship, if you're not living life in obedience, there is a theme in Scripture that tells us that sometimes God will actually withhold His presence from you. You're like, hey, pastor, you're not supposed to say that. That doesn't sound right. God just said in this psalm that He keeps close, that He stands side by side with us. Is that always true? Is it always true? If you look at the Old Testament, you see God uh, create from nothing all things and then create out of sinful beings a people for himself. And he commands this little fledgling people, the Israelites, the start of a family and a tribe and then a nation. And he says, if you follow me, if you're obedient to me, if you worship me, I will bless you. But what does he say whenever they don't? He says, I'll I'll, uh, discipline, I will disperse, you'll go into exile. Here's here's my point, it's a hard truth this morning, but if you come here and just think that like, man, that feels good to hear that, uh, you know, Jesus is standing by my side, he's keeping close, and you think that that endures through all things, here's the truth that you need to hear this morning. If you're living a life of disobedience, if you feel like God is far from you, There is some interesting hard work that you need to do. You need to be asking yourself, am I living a life of obedience? Am I on a road towards worship or am I on a road towards idols? Am I on a road back into the city of lies? Is God close to you? If you're living a life of obedience, a life of worship, he says, I'm the shade at your right hand. I'm keeping close to you. Does that mean that he never goes after the lost sheep? No, that doesn't, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is, is that we need to assess, does God feel near to us? And then if you are on a road towards worship, you need to know that he is, whether you feel it or not, because he's promised you so. If you look at your life and you go, I ventured far away from God, then what I would tell you is you need to call to the shepherd. You need to ask him to come and to find you. He leaves the 99 to go out to find the one. I am not saying that he doesn't go after lost sheep. What I am saying is, is that if you feel like you're lacking the presence of God, of our Lord, of our keeper, assess where you are on the road. So God promises the worshiper that he keeps close. If you're desiring, if you're pursuing, if you're longing, if you're ascending the hill of worship, the good news this morning is, is that God keeps close. He is with you. But then we need to understand that uh, God is not only not distant. That Jesus Christ, the person of God, Emmanuel, tells us, I am with you. His very name, Emmanuel, says, God with us. Here's the truth. If you're wondering, hey, why doesn't God feel close? Why isn't he near? You need to understand that God did everything. He moved the heavens and the earth to have this uh, uh, one son, Jesus Christ, and he comes into the world. Why? To be removed and to be like this director that's standing apart from all of creation? No, to be in the creation, to be near you, to be with you. 
The good news of the gospel is that when this psalmist says, you are the shade at my right hand, all it is doing is foretelling a Savior who actually is. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He is the shade at our right hand. He came to be with us. We have nearness with God. He keeps close. But he also keeps us safe. Verse 6. Let us read it together. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. When you leave your home among deceivers and take uh, to life on the road where there is no shelter, here's the truth. You are vulnerable to the elements. You're vulnerable to the sun, which might strike you. Now, now, for a lot of us, we don't get the full weight of this. I want you to imagine that you lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. No air conditioning. I mean, uh, you had to travel to a well to get water. If you were to go on a journey, if you were to go on a long journey, if you were to, say, journey to Jerusalem, do you think that you would have a different experience than if you and I decided, hey, let's go to Dallas this afternoon? It's a lot different. You're on a dangerous road. There are elements. If it decides to rain a day into the trip, guess what you're having to deal with? You're having to deal with mud. There's no like all-terrain tires for you. You're just out there. You're heading towards Jerusalem. If the sun is beating down on you, if there is danger along the way, if somebody comes alongside of you on this road and is uh, deceptive towards you or steals from you, no matter what the elements are, they can destroy you. They seek to strike you. And here's what God promises you. You may be vulnerable to the elements, but I will keep you safe. I will keep you safe. And, and what's more, in verse 7, he says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. It, we, we see the disciples go to Jesus and say, how ought we pray? And one of the first things that Jesus mentions in this very short prayer is, deliver me from evil. Keep me from evil. Keep me safe from evil. Keep my life from evil. And here we have this psalmist hundreds of years before saying, you do precisely that. You deliver me from evil. You will keep me from all evil. You will keep my life. Thieves want to steal your worship. Murderers may want your blood. They may even want your life. But the Lord keeps you safe. He keeps your life. If you're feeling vulnerable this morning, remember when I asked you like, hey, what do you feel most vulnerable to? There are plenty of us that were thinking in terms of like, I just feel unsafe. I feel unsafe when I talk to my mom on the phone. I feel unsafe when I go to work. I feel unsafe with my husband. Like, whatever it is, you may be experiencing a lot of things that make you feel unsafe, but here we have the psalmist say, the Lord keeps you safe. He keeps your life. So there's a problem here. The Lord makes this promise to us, but many of us still feel vulnerable. We feel vulnerable to the elements of this world. We still feel the effects of evil. We still feel unsafe. How can this be true? How can it be true? 
Does God really keep us safe? Does he really keep our lives? And here's, here's what you might want to do as like a uh, Bible studier, as a person taking a look at this passage. You just go, well, it's Hebrew poetry. It's not literal. It's not saying that like he literally, I know Christians who were on the field who faced great danger. I've read stories about the martyrs. And so this psalmist is, it's not being literal. He doesn't keep life all the time. And so you might be tempted at some level to extract meaning and weight from this psalm. What you need to know is that these are promises, But they're uh, promises that are completely answered in the person of Jesus. Here's what I want you to pay attention to this morning. If you're feeling vulnerable, if you're wondering how it is that the Lord keeps your life, you need to know that Jesus, the Lord, keeps your life by losing his. So, yeah, we're not talking about uh, everybody's physical safety in life. There are people who have lost their lives for Jesus. So does that make a liar out of the psalmist? No way. Because the truth is, at a spiritual level, that the Lord Jesus saves everyone whom he was given on the cross. He saves you. If you place your trust in Jesus, if you are one of his people, if you are a brother of Jesus, Jesus gave his life so that you could keep yours. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus keeps you safe, eternally safe. And we, worshipers, we lift our eyes to the life-keeping, the safe-keeping, the close-keeping, the watch-keeping, the foot-keeping, the promise-keeping Jesus. That's who worshipers lift their eyes to. So when we see this psalmist say, I look to the hills, there's like this double entendre that's going on where he's saying, I'm looking to the hills of uncertainty, of vulnerability. But he's also saying, I'm looking towards the hills of worship where Jerusalem is so that I can go there and so that I can be with God's people, so that I can feast with God's people, so that I can worship with God's people at the temple. But we don't have that anymore. We don't look towards Jerusalem, the physical city. What we do is we look to Jesus. We don't look to a city, we look to a person. And Jesus is the place of worship. He's the promise keeper. He's the life keeper. So here's the last point. We're going to do it very briefly, and it's an application, and that's this. The Lord keeps you forever. He keeps you forever. What what good news is it for us if uh, the Lord keeps our footing and he keeps close, and he keeps watch, and he keeps us safe, if it's only for a short time, if it's only for this life, let us read these last verses. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and coming in from this time forth and what? Forevermore. Now, here's the truth. I I just looked up, and about 50% of us were just kind of looking up, okay? The scriptures... The God-breathed word of God says that he will keep you from this time forth and forevermore. Your goings, your comings of life and worship will not merely be overseen, they will be kept forever. Many of us have endured abandonment. We've endured hurt by friends and family in this life. Here's the truth. 
For a lot of us, when I ask what makes you feel most vulnerable, there's probably quite a lot of us who think of family first. Those people that were supposed to keep us safe didn't keep us safe. Those people that were supposed to keep watch over us, they didn't keep watch. Those people that were supposed to keep close, they actually left. And the truth is that a lot of us feel abandoned in this world. And we have this sense that God might be the same, that if I do enough wrong things, that I, I believe the right things, but I did enough wrong things where God has to be so uh, just uh, painfully upset with me that he's going to leave me forever. <laughs> That's not what this verse says. This verse says, I will keep your goings and your comings. You get this idea that it's in and out of a, a city gate. One day we will live in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be 12 gates and we will be going in and out of them. We will be exploring the remade heavens and earth. We will see those crystal seas. We will walk those sure paved roads of gold. God will keep us in the midst of heaven forever. He will not abandon you. He's going to keep you forever. He's going to keep your life forever. For any of us who feel as though we might lose our salvation at any moment, that we just might get one last thing wrong, and that last tether of faith is going to be severed, and God's going to leave us forever, you need to hear this. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I'm reminded, and this is the very last thing, I want to put like a pin in this. When I started thinking about this word keep, the first thing that came to mind was Genesis 4. God had created everything in Genesis 1 and 2. He had created Adam and Eve, and then they uh, were tempted to not believe God, and they took the fruit from the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then they had these two sons, Cain and Abel. And uh, God uh, loves these two men. They're giving offerings, and, and God loves Abel's offerings. Cain grows jealous, and he kills his brother. And, and, then, and then what happens is, is that the Lord, knowing that this has happened, comes to Cain, and he says, where is your brother? What is his response? It's a very famous response. Many of us know the response. It's, Am I my brother's keeper? Cain is, is trying to deflect, he's trying to get away, he's trying not to be confronted with his sin because he killed him. Am I my brother's keeper? Many millennia later, we have a brother and he comes and rather than killing us for our sin, rather than leaving us forever, uh, choosing not to keep watch over us forever, Jesus doesn't come and say, am I my brother's keeper? He says, I am my brother's keeper. I'm going to keep them, and I will give my life that they might keep theirs. Let's pray and just thank God for that beautiful truth and then stand after this. Take communion and sing as though these things are truly true. God and Father, you are great and glorious. This simple psalm tells us in the midst of our vulnerability, in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of a world that does not care for us and people that have uh, uh, left us uh, trustless, uh, Lord, you tell us in the midst of that world that you will bless and keep us. God and Father, we thank you that you are a 
uh, promise-keeping God, that you are a life-keeping God, ever-watchful, ever-protective. Lord, I pray in your great grace that you would help us feel kept, feel well-kept. Lord, and as we um, take communion this morning and remember the sacrifice that was made that we might keep our lives, Lord, we ask you that you would bless us. Lord, as we sing songs to you this morning, would our uh, worship rise before you as we venture up this uh, holy hill of worship to see Jesus exalted on a cross at Calvary, as we uh, scale Golgotha and we see our, uh, our Savior there on a tree, as we sing songs to him, knowing that he and he alone gave his life that we might keep ours, Lord, would you allow us to worship? Lord, I pray that you would make City Church a place of joyful worship and that you would do it this morning. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.